As the curve flattens in Texas and Arizona, Democrats and the media continue to proclaim doom on COVID. Democrats declare Trump a fascist for enforcing the law in Portland and Chicago. And Trump has some weird words about Ghislaine Maxwell. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't like the government spying on you? Then visit expressvpn.com slash Ben to stay anonymous. Okay, so let us begin with where we now stand on COVID. It is perfectly clear at this point that the case numbers are starting to alleviate in places like Texas and Arizona. I'm looking at a chart from the New York Times right now. And what it is showing is that there is a leveling off that is beginning to happen in a variety of states. According to this particular New York Times study, cases per capita, where new cases are mostly the same. California, over the last 14 days, mostly the same. New Jersey, New York, mostly the same. Where new cases are decreasing. Arizona, it's decreasing. Where new deaths are increasing, right? New deaths are, are, are trailing indicators. They're still increasing in some places like Florida and Arizona. But again, that is because death usually comes, you know, within seven to 14 days after diagnosis if you are going to die from COVID. Even in areas where it seems like the cases are increasing over the last 14 days, over the last seven, they seem to be decreasing. So Texas is starting to see a bit of a drop-off. If you look at the chart from the New York Times, you can see that Florida is experiencing a bit of a drop-off. They had a very sharp spike, and now they are beginning to recede. So in terms of hospitalization rates, in terms of ICUs, fewer people are being hospitalized who have it. Fewer people who end up in the hospital are going to the ICU. Fewer people who are going to the ICU are dying. And what this means is that overall, the death rates from this thing seem to be dropping fairly precipitously. Now, that doesn't mean that it isn't highly deadly. It is significantly more deadly than the flu by most available estimates. According to the Wall Street Journal, Six months into the pandemic, researchers are homing in on an answer to one of the basic questions about the virus. How deadly is it? Researchers initially analyzing data from outbreaks on cruise ships and more recently from surveys of thousands of people in virus hotspots have now conducted dozens of studies trying to calculate the infection fatality rate of COVID-19. That research suggests COVID-19 kills from around 0.3% to 1.5% of people infected. But the the generality of studies is between 0.5% and 1%. Now, it's important to look at the date estimates on these things. The ones that have been done later tend to skew in favor of a lower death rate. So the ones that are done in May tend to skew between 0.5% and 1%. There are a bevy of studies from May and June that actually show this thing well below 1%, actually well below 0.5%. There are a couple studies that may show this actually even in the realm of the flu. But most studies basically put this thing in between 0.5% and 0.8%, which is pretty much what I've been suggesting for a very long time, is that this thing is not 0.1, it's probably between 0.2 and 0.6, I think has been my sort of stated estimate of the number of people who get this who die. Now, again, that includes all of the above 80-year-olds who get it. And there, the infection fatality rate is a lot higher. So when you remove people who are in the nursing homes, people who are uniquely vulnerable to this thing, then you're talking about maybe three cases in a thousand in terms of people who die from this thing. Okay, so that, that, is, that is really what you're talking about for people who are below the age of 65, is an infection fatality rate that probably is somewhere around three in 1,000 people who get it will die, which seems like not an extraordinary rate or at least an extraordinary rate high enough to say that you have to shut down the entire society for all time ad infinitum until a vaccine is found. Now, to be frank about this, we all take risk mitigation steps in American life and internationally. We all have to figure out what are the sort of things that are worth shutting down an entire society. So we don't shut down society for the flu, obviously, nor should we. The infection fatality rate on the flu is about one in 1,000 people who get it will die of the flu every year. It's a 0.1% infection fatality rate for the flu. So if it's three in 1,000 as opposed to one in 1,000, is that now high enough that you shut down the entire society? Now, if you're talking about something like Ebola, 
Then you're talking about like 5% of people who actually, sorry, if you're talking about Ebola, the infection fatality rate on Ebola is like way higher or SARS or MERS. If you're looking at, at you know, various death rates on, on these diseases, then some of these diseases have death rates that are like 10, 20, 50%. Then of course, if it were to spread through the population, you have the Black Plague. But if you're talking about the difference between one person in a thousand dying and three people in a thousand dying of a disease, that is not the kind of infection fatality rate that necessitates shutting down an entire society. So if you're comparing diseases by, in, by infection fatality rate, right? Ebola, for example, has an infection fatality rate, a disease, a disease fatality rate up to 70%. Like if you get it, you're going to die, basically. That is not in any way the same thing as COVID. This is important stuff because it is going to necessitate how we think about policy. It's going to necessitate how we think about policy when it comes to reopening schools, where the infection fatality rate is way lower than that. Because again, if you're a kid, the chances you're dying from this thing are much lower, like as in like a multiple lower than the flu. If you're under the age of five, there is, I believe, a 16 times higher chance you die of the flu than you die from COVID. So this should inform our thinking, but it seems like everybody is sort of determined to panic at this point. And they're using some data that suggests that we should be very concerned, but I don't think any of the data suggests panic at this point. Like the widespread panic you're seeing, the media's alarmism suggesting that we're right back where we were in March and April. No, we are not right back where we were in March and April. In March and April, we were seeing nearly 3,000 people a day die. Right now, we are seeing an uptick, a significant uptick from a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, we were seeing somewhere between 600 and 800 people a day die. Today, we are seeing somewhere between 900 and 1,100 people die a day. So an uptick of about 300 people dying every day. That, that's not great. There's also a country of 330 million people. And every day in the United States, in a normal circumstance, you have 7,500 people die every single day in the United States. So a differential of 300 people dying a day, while tragic and horrifying, is that enough to shut down the entire society forever? I don't think so, particularly when we have mitigating steps that we can take, like wearing masks and social distancing, which means the best thing we can do right now is get back to work, wear masks, socially distance. If you are, in effect, a person who is uniquely vulnerable, then try to stay home as much as possible and don't go to crowded areas. But that's exactly the same thing I've been advocating for literally months at this point. And yet what the media are suggesting is the only solution here is full-on lockdowns. Now, as we're going to see, the evidence that lockdowns are what actually brought down the infection fatality rate or that lockdowns really prevented the complete destruction of societies, the evidence on that is fairly scanty. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that sleep is not easy to come by these days. That is why you need the finest in all sheets. I know you don't think about your sheets very much, right? You just got the ones down at the local Bed Bath & Beyond and you spent too much money on them, or maybe you didn't spend nearly enough money on them and you just got the vinyl ones, right, that you play a record off of. What you actually need are excellent organic cotton sheets from Bull & Branch. These sheets are so good, I cannot sleep on other sheets now. What do millions of Americans and three former U.S. presidents have in common? They all agree that Bull & Branch sheets are the softest, most comfortable, pure organic cotton sheets on earth. Bull & Branch cotton is rain-fed, pesticide-free, carries the highest organic certification, which is why it is incredibly, incredibly soft. It gets softer with each wash, by the way, because they work with family-owned mills all over the world to expertly weave every set of Bull & Branch sheets with the highest levels of craftsmanship. It's quality you can feel the moment you open the box. Again, I love the Bull & Branch sheets that I've got. They are breathable. They are really comfortable. And they, they really make it easy for me to sleep at night, which I need because my kids are waking me up every five seconds. Since they sell direct to you, Bull & Branch sheets start at just 160 bucks which is a great price for a really true luxury brand of sheet. I mean, these are like $1,000 sheets for 160 bucks. Plus, you can sleep on them for a month, risk-free. Right now, you get 50 bucks off any sheet set at bullandbranch.com with promo code Ben Shapiro, spelled B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Ben Shapiro, my name, for $50 off bullandbranch.com, promo code 
Ben Shapiro. Restrictions may apply. See bullandbranch.com for details. You will not regret this. Okay, so how about lockdowns? Are lockdowns the solution to this? Well, here's the thing. Government-enforced lockdowns really were probably not the reason why, why infections stopped moving through the population as fast. People changed their activity. This is a point I was making last week that people were deliberately attempting to misinterpret because I said it very clearly. People react in rational fashion to risk assessment. So if there's a large amount of infection in your community, you are much more likely to wear a mask than if you are living in rural Texas. What that means is that once people see the risk materialize, then they start to take action. And this has been true with regards to COVID lockdowns. So the government was like, well, we got to lock this stuff down. We got to lock it down right the hell now. Okay, but they really didn't. Okay, they were weeks late on it. People started locking down. I mean, the data is very clear on this. People started locking down. People stopped going out to public places. People started wearing masks before the mandates kicked in. Human beings have a, have a very powerful amygdala, a very powerful, a very powerful fear response that encourages them to take measures to prevent their own death. And I think we can rely on that for most people to actually be smart enough to protect themselves and the people who are directly around them. In Britain, this has become a major controversy because Chris Whitty, who is one of the, the chief medical, he's the chief medical officer for England. He said that the lockdowns probably are not what caused the decline in the curve in Britain. He says the decline in the curve began before the lockdowns. You see this with masking in a lot of areas, that the declines began before the masking. Why? Because people were taking responsible action before the mandates came in. So the, the, this bizarre notion that everything has to be government top down and that if the government doesn't act, then nobody will. The, the evidence on that is, is pretty scanty overall. And as we say, if you watch the media coverage right now, the media is like, you should be panicked. You should be panicked about the caseload rising. Except that, w- explain, we only started relocking down places like Florida and Texas like a week ago. We've already seen decreasing caseloads. We started locking down California again like a couple of days ago, a few days ago. We've already seen decreasing caseloads. So what exactly caused that? Probably people started getting more responsible about where exactly they were going as they saw the news that the cases were spiking. And so we've already hit the other side of the curve in places like Houston. Even NPR is admitting as much. According to NPR, after a sudden surge in reported COVID-19 cases beginning at the end of June, Houston's daily case count and hospital admission rates seem to be leveling off. Health officials say they are not ready to determine if the data are statistically significant yet, but it's a positive trend. Last Friday, experts were ringing alarm bells. David Peirce, Health Authority for Houston's Health Department, said, I just want to put in perspective for those folks who don't see what the issue is. In your experience, you may not know anybody who's sick. You may not know anybody who's died yet. But here's the bottom line. We kept hearing that all the hospitals were going to be overwhelmed. Then there was a surge and it receded. It receded in Arizona. It's receded in Texas. It's beginning to recede in the case counts in Florida. Houston hospitals are not overwhelmed. The ICU occupancy in the vast majority of states is below 80%. There are almost no states where it is above 85%, which means that we have actually not threatened the health systems of the United States at this point. But you probably don't know that from watching the media. If you watch the media, then basically everybody's going to die. And if we don't force people to stay at home, everybody's going to die. And not only that, Republicans are responsible for everybody dying. But that's not statistically correct. It's just not right. Okay, If you look at the number of infections that have been detected over the past couple of weeks, what you see is a line that looks arithmetic in its growth, right? It's very large. It's a very large spike in the number of cases that have been identified over the past couple of weeks in the United States. I'm looking at the day-on-day charts in daily new cases in the United States. And take, for example, as of June 30th, as of June 30th, there were 46,000 identified cases in the United States. As of July 17th, there were 75,000 reported cases in the United States. Yesterday, there were about 67,000 reported cases in the United States. 
But the death count didn't escalate anywhere near like that. So I just used June 29th or June 30th as the baseline. So if you look at June 30th in terms of the deaths, then what you are seeing is about 726 deaths on June 30th. Now, remember, it's a lagging indicator, so that really kind of measures June 15th. So what you'd really want to do is measure a couple of weeks out from then. So you'd want to look at like mid-July. Mid-July, you're looking at about 1,000 deaths a day, right, from that, from that spike. Maybe that continues. Maybe we see, you know, 1,500 deaths a day. Maybe we see 2,000 deaths a day. I kind of doubt it. I think that we've gotten better at treating this thing in hospitals. But we're not going to know that for a couple of weeks. One thing is true. The idea that we are back at New York levels, New York, New York epidemic levels, where 1,000 people a day were dying in New York alone, that is a, that we're, we're not there nor are we likely to be there. States that have been heavily criticized, like California, states that have been heavily criticized, like Texas and and Florida, really, those are states that are experiencing at their height like 140, 150 deaths a day, which is not good, right? You don't like that. That's not a good thing. But to take yesterday's totals, Florida experienced 132 deaths. Texas Texas experienced 118 deaths. Those Those are bad numbers. Those numbers will likely increase. They're not going to increase the levels of New York. You're not going to see 1,000 deaths a day in, in Florida. You're not going to see 1,000 deaths a day in Texas, particularly because the thing has already started to recede in a lot of these states. But the media are invested in a particular narrative, and the narrative is that everything is going wrong and we are all screwed. The narrative is basically the Nancy Pelosi narrative, right? Nancy Pelosi is now calling COVID the Trump virus, which is just, so you're not allowed to call it the Chinese virus because if you say that it came from China, that means you're a racist. But she's allowed to say it's the Trump virus, even though it has killed hundreds of thousands of people all over the world, did not originate in the United States, and was centralized mainly in Democratic states where the governors did a crap job, like Phil Murphy in New Jersey and like Andrew Cuomo in New York. But apparently it's all Trump's fault. I swear, the the sort of political idiocy of suggesting, the moral idiocy of suggesting that it's the quote unquote Trump virus is beyond the pale, but that's what Nancy Pelosi does. Here she was. Clearly, it is the Trump virus. Well, what do you mean when you say the Trump virus? The Trump virus. If they, if he had said uh, months ago, let's wear a mask, let's not, let's socially distance instead of having rallies and political whatever they were, uh, then more people would have followed his lead as the president of the United States. So what you're saying is that uh, thousands of Americans have died because of what the president has done or not done. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I think it's clearly evident. It's clearly evident that if the president had done what exactly? Like, really, what what was the president supposed to do that he did not do? I'm livid with the Trump campaign, frankly, that they've not put out a commercial just showing all the various governors from Whitmer to Jay Inslee to Andrew Cuomo to Gavin Newsom saying openly and positively that Trump gave them what they need, which is true, which is true. Again, Trump's done a horrible job in terms of the optics of COVID, but in terms of the actual policy of COVID, other than he didn't put on a mask himself. What exactly is the big critique here? Like, seriously, what's the big critique? We lost a couple of months because the CDC didn't do its damn job and get the tests ready and turned down testing from other places. We are now doing more tests a day than any place on the planet. It is not close. We're doing millions of tests a day in the United States. We've done 47 million tests at this point in the United States. And we're not doing millions. We're doing certainly half a million, hundreds of thousands of tests every single day in the United States. So calling it the Trump virus is just the purest form of chaos politics. And Democrats at this point are rooting for chaos. And you listen to Beto O'Rourke, who is the id of the stupid Democrat. Beto, still hanging around. Yeah, I'm a loser, but I have things to say from my mansion paid for by my father. Go, Beto, go. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who on Fox News said there are more important things than living. In other words, let's get on with the dying, knowing full well that it will be those frontline workers making $7.25 an hour 
which is a minimum wage in Texas. It'll be African-Americans. It'll be Latinos and Mexican-Americans who will be doing the dying right here in Texas. This is a death cult, the Texas GOP. Only they want you to do the dying. And that's exactly what is happening in Texas right now. Okay, this is just sick. It's just sick. Nobody wants anybody to do the dying. The question is, can we have any semblance of a normal life in an arena where at, at most five to 10 people in every 1,000 are dying of COVID? Right? Can we have anything resembling a normal life when if you protect the nursing homes and protect the most vulnerable, that number looks more like three in every 10,000, uh, three in every thousand are dying? Can you have anything that resembles a normal life like that? I think the answer is yes. I think you can mitigate the risk and get that number down from three in 1,000 to maybe one in 1,000, or maybe you make it so that fewer people are infected with the masks and with the social distancing. But if Beto O'Rourke's idea is that we are supposed to cower in our house until the end of time, then he's just rooting for chaos. And it feels like there are a lot of people who are rooting for chaos at this point. I don't think Haley McEnany, the White House press secretary, is wrong when she says members of the media are trying to scare you. If you watch the media coverage, all you have seen is that the case load is rising across the United States. It's about to swamp the system. There is no evidence the system was swamped anywhere in the United States with the exception of certain hospitals in New York. Okay, that evidence does not exist in Florida. It does not exist in Houston. It does not exist in Dallas. It does not exist in Los Angeles. The, the people of the United States have largely been what I thought they would be, responsible. They've largely adopted mask wearing. This has been true for months. Six in 10 Americans say they wear a mask every time they go out of the house right now. And that is true in red states as well as blue states. Most Americans are being careful about how they act here. Okay, but the media are indeed trying to alarm everybody. And then they downplay any good news, right? I mean, there, there are actual headlines saying that, you know, the death rate from COVID is down. Fewer people are dying as infections rise. But we shouldn't consider that good news. Why should we not consider that good news? I consider that excellent news. I saw a study yesterday that suggested that death rates in hospitals is down 79% because we've learned how to treat this thing better. That is a really good piece of news and it should inform public policy. If a disease becomes more treatable, that means it is less risky to the general population. Is it not? Right? You should hear the good news and the bad news, right? You should be concerned. You should not be panicked. The media is pushing panic. And then there are people who are pushing utter unconcern. I'm not pushing utter unconcern. I'm pushing rational concern. That means you take rational action. That's what a lot of members of the media and the Democratic Party apparently are not interested in. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that right now a lot of people are thinking about life insurance. They're thinking about protecting their family in case, God forbid, something should happen to them. But can you get life insurance right now? You can. You personally can get life insurance right now. How? You head on over to Policy Genius. As a life insurance marketplace backed by a team of experts, Policy Genius is keeping track of all the changes in the market so you don't have to. They'll find you the right amount of coverage at the best possible price without the headache. Policy Genius compares quotes from the top life insurance companies all in one place. It takes just a few minutes to compare quotes from top insurers and find your best price. This doesn't just save a lot of legwork. You could save 1500 bucks or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape for free. So if you hit any speed bumps during the application process, they will be there to take care of everything. So if you need life insurance, but you're not sure exactly where to start, head on over to PolicyGenius.com. Policy Genius will help you find the best rate, handle the process completely. They'll get you and your family protected, hopefully give you one less thing to worry about these days, which would be a big thing for you. Try it today. Make sure your family's protected. They do all sorts of insurance, by the way. They do auto insurance and home insurance and disability insurance. You can get it bundled. Go check out policygenius.com. Competitively shopping, always a great idea and particularly a good idea when it comes to life insurance, policygenius.com. Okay, so yesterday, President Trump re-upped his daily press conferences. He decided to go out there and do his press conferences again. The reason that he had stopped doing them is because he kept going out there and saying weird things during his press conference, to, to put it mildly, right? Suggesting that if you shine a UV light up your butt or something, that it was going to cure COVID. But with that said, the president does need to show leadership because that's apparently all the media care about. 
Now, Andrew Cuomo could be the garbage, the, the most garbage governor in America, which, by the way, by evidence he is. But as long as he was going out there and and acting like a, a leader on TV, that's all that mattered to folks. So Trump going back out there and acting like a leader is is fairly necessary here. Trump came out yesterday, said, listen, it'll probably get worse before it gets better. That's true in terms of the deaths, right? Because again, death is a trailing indicator. It's a lagging indicator. So if you've seen a rise in cases over the past two weeks, even if it's receded in places like Texas, Florida, and Arizona right now, that means that you will see some escalating death rates for probably the next week, week and a half. Are those escalating death rates going to bring us to New York rates? Not even close, not even close. But here's President Trump rightly saying that it's going to get worse for a little while here. There is no cure. And so we have to be careful. We are uh, in the process of developing a strategy that's going to be very, very powerful. We've developed them as we go along. Some areas of our country are doing very well. Others are doing less well. It will probably, unfortunately, get worse before it gets better. Something I don't like saying about things, but that's the way it is. It's the way it's what we have. You look over the world. It's all over the world. And it tends to do that. Okay, and President Trump also added that now would be a good time to wear a mask. So finally, he said, wear a mask. Does that mean people will now lay off of him and suggest that that no, it means that they're going to say, why didn't he say wear a mask earlier? If only he had said wear a mask earlier, this would have ended all of this stuff again. The fact is, the United States has adopted mask wearing for months at a higher rate than most of most of Northern Europe, for example. We, we wear masks in the United States at a higher rate than Canada does. And mask wearing across the United States, you can't just aggregate the stats. You can't just say that mask wearing in New York is exactly like mask wearing in the middle of rural Kansas, because those are two very different areas. Like if you're in the middle of a place where people are naturally socially distanced, you don't have to wear a mask as often. So kind of aggregating that stat doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. In any case, here's President Trump saying, yeah, you know, just go ahead and put on a mask. Young adults may often have mild or even no symptoms. They won't even know they're sick. They won't have any idea that they have a virus. They won't have any idea at all. America's youth will act responsibly. And we're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask. Uh, Whether you like the mask or not, uh, they have an impact. They'll have an effect. And we need everything we can get. Okay, so he finally says wear a mask and the media comes down on him anyway. And finally, this was the headline that was completely ignored. Everybody keeps saying Trump is blowing this. Why isn't Trump doing X, Y, and Z? But they don't actually explain what X, Y, and Z are. Trump says, by the way, we have no request for equipment. None across the country. States have what they need, which means he did his job. I got criticized a little bit yesterday for suggesting that the Trump administration policy was actually not bad. Well, isn't a pretty good indicator that the Trump administration policy on this is not bad, that governors aren't coming hat in hand to ask for things because they got what they needed. Here was Trump yesterday. My administration currently has zero unfilled requests for unfulfilled requests for uh, equipment or anything else that they need from the governors. No governor needs anything right now. And we think we'll have it that way till the end, because, frankly, we are stocked up and ready to go wherever we have to go. We've nearly 7000 National Guard and military medical personnel in Texas, California, Florida and Arizona that's helping us greatly. The media won't cover that. The media won't cover the fact that hospitals have not been overwhelmed, the fact that death rates have gone down, and the fact that the feds have given people what they need. Because that would suggest that things are kind of working. Right? And the media don't want that narrative. They don't want it. And by the way, we are going to have to make some tough decisions about how we live our lives. Because for all the talk about vaccine development, vaccine companies are testifying they may, may have a vaccine ready to go in six months. Which means that for the general public, it may not be ready. Fauci said this yesterday. It may not be ready until at least the middle of 2021 and maybe the tail end of 2021. 
You think we're fully locking down, like LA is talking about again for a second time? You think we're fully locking down all the way till the end of 2021 for a disease that has a death rate in people who are not the elderly of three in 1,000? You think that's a thing that people are going to go along with forever? I have some doubts. Again, the vaccine companies testified on the Hill yesterday. They said, well, you know, maybe we'll have a vaccine in six months. Listen, I would love to have a vaccine today, but let's be real about this. People are living their lives. Every day that you live your life is a day that you move toward your death. Okay, every day still counts. It's not as though life lengthens on the other end of life. Like, I, I get that we want to preserve as many lives as possible. I'm on board with that. But also, we would like to preserve quality of life. That's a thing that matters. And it turns out that we make risk mitigation efforts every day, and we take into account risks, and then we act. And here is a vaccine CEO explaining to Congress that, yeah, maybe we'll have one in six months, maybe not. According to statements from several of the companies testifying today, and based on the speed at which they are progressing through clinical trials, it is possible that a COVID-19 vaccine may become available by the end of this year or early next year. That's a rare bit of good news in this harrowing time. But while some public health experts are bullish on the development of a vaccine, we must remind ourselves that plenty can still go wrong. Okay, and this would be something to keep in mind because you've been told that you got to lock down forever or you're going to die, and that, that ain't true. That's a false choice. All righty, in just a second, we're going to get to the rooting for chaos, which doesn't just exist in the level of COVID, although it's most clear there. It, it exists maybe most, maybe even more clearly when it comes to public safety. We'll get to that in just one second. First, you know, have you been having trouble falling asleep at night? I know why. You know why, too. It's because you keep staring at screens right before you go to bed, and you got that blue light, right? The blue light is coming off the screen. It's keeping you awake. You check your phone in the middle of the night, and then you're up the rest of the night because you were too dumb to buy Felix Grey glasses. You should have had Felix Grey glasses on. Why? Well, because it would have minimized the blue light. You'd get fewer headaches. You'd feel better. It, would, it wouldn't keep you awake in the middle of the night. There are a lot of symptoms from spending too much time in front of screens. They can range from headaches and blurry vision and dry, tired eyes and trouble sleeping. Exposure to blue light at night can lower the production of melatonin, which regulates sleep. This is why you need Felix Grey. Felix Grey glasses will filter out 90% of blue light in the most damaging range and eliminate 99% of glare through a proprietary industry-leading lens technology only available with Felix Grey. Felix Grey frames, they're hand-finished from durable, super lightweight Italian acetate. You can order online and the glasses will ship directly to you with hard case and lens cloth included. You try them for 30 days risk-free. If your screens aren't easier on the eyes, then send them back for a full refund. So you got nothing to lose. They look great, they wear great, and they really will alleviate all the strain on your eyes. Get rid of that blue light. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben for the absolute best quality blue light filtering glasses on the market. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash Ben. Felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Shipping and returns totally free at Felix Gray. Felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so meanwhile, the rooting for chaos continues with regards to public safety. So you may have noticed that chaos has absolutely continued in Portland. We got chaos in Chicago. We got chaos all over the country as the idiot defund the police crowd and their Democratic and media allies have made cities across the United States significantly less safe for American citizens. Well, in Portland, basically the media ignored for two months, for two rolling months, they ignored the chaos in Portland. And it wasn't just two months. I mean, Antifa has basically been running the center of, of city of the city at the behest of Mayor Ted Wheeler for years. Andy No, a friend of the program, he's been reporting on this. He's been beaten up for his trouble in Portland for reporting on the fact that Antifa would do things like stopping drivers in the middle of the street in broad daylight, and the, the authorities were told not to do anything. Well, basically, the media had a strategy with Portland. We're going to ignore all the chaos because we kind of like Antifa up until the point the feds come in, at which point we will pretend the feds are the aggressors. That's been the narrative promulgated by the media, and it's fully crazy. 
The only reason to do that is because you are rooting for chaos. And you're rooting for chaos because you think it's going to get rid of Trump. The more chaos there is, the more you think that Trump will go. I, I cannot come up with any other explanation for this. Because if a Democrat were president, you presumably would not be rooting for chaos in this way. Okay. Mike Baker reporting for the New York Times. With a ski helmet and goggles on her head, Allison Hyder recounted how she had told relatives she planned to stand at the rear of protests in downtown Portland. But in the early hours of Tuesday, the grandmother of five found herself right up front, locking arms with other mothers dressed in yellow. So the media have been running cover for all of these, these kind of protest moms who are standing up front of the protests. And then they've been ignoring the fact that the protesters are setting up barricades and burning crap, like literally setting things on fire and resisting federal officers and local officers. But we have to focus in on naked Athena, the weird naked lady doing yoga poses, standing as a symbol of freedom against these brutal tyrants. We have to focus in on the moms, the moms. First of all, let me just say to you, you Antifa protesters out there, if you're calling your mommy because you're too much of a pansy to actually just take the brunt of, of what you're dishing out, you have to call your mommy to stand as your human shield. You're, <laughs> you're a wimp. You're a wimp. All your faux masculinity, you're a wimp. Is standing with a pack of other protesters, she chanted in front of the boarded-up entrance to the federal courthouse. She remained resolute, even as some in the crowd began prying at the wood affixed to the building, leaving Miss Hyder uneasy about where things were headed. I am the face of anarchy, Miss Hyder declared. The people of the U.S. need to know. Moms, grandmas, nurses are out here in the middle of the night demanding rights for everybody. Okay, so we're going to focus in on her. Like, isn't the buried headline there that people are prying away boards from the federal courthouse to try and vandalize it again? Wouldn't that be the headline? The demonstrations that have shuddered through Portland for 54 consecutive nights have drawn out a complicated mix of grievances, says, says the New York Times, with a wide array of people expressing them using a multitude of tactics to make sure they get hurt. Oh, it's just a way of getting heard, guys. You see, if anti-lockdown protesters like to show up and say things, then they're bad racist people who are endangering other people. If you show up to a federal courthouse and try to burn it down, that's just your way of being heard. Don't you see how this works? And if you call your mommy to protect you, that's because you're so brave. Because really, these protesters, they're all 60-year-old moms. They're not a bunch of woke white kids, woke white kids who are living in their parents' basements and masturbating to anime. In Oregon, a state with a deep history of racism that included racial exclusion laws extending into the 20th century, the Portland protests have persisted since George Floyd's killing, even as BLM demonstrations have waned in many other parts of the country. Okay, alternatively, Antifa's been making trouble in this area for literally years on end. Some leaders in the black community, grateful for a widespread discussion on race, worry that what should be a moment for racial justice in Portland could be squandered by violence. Oh, you think? Oh, you think? The city's mayor, Ted Wheeler, is angry because the feds are coming in. So here's what's happening. Chaos in the streets of Portland. And when President Trump steps in, then we hear that President Trump is the bad guy. So Oregon's governor said to the feds, Go Governor Kate Brown, she said, we want you to go home. How about this? Call out these state troopers. You are the governor of the state. Are you okay with the chaos that you are seeing in the streets of Portland? Apparently, the answer is yes, because so long as you can just rip on, on Trump, everything is good to go. Here's Governor Kate Brown being a horrible public servant, a horrible public servant. But again, she's not serving the public. She's serving her own political interests and the interests of her party. When I spoke to the Secretary of Homeland Security last week, I told them to go home, that their forces are not needed here. They are not wanted here. And they're making a challenging situation worse. As I said, the violence is absolutely unacceptable. We're talking about outliers uh, in terms of protesters. But in Oregon, you know, we solve problems by sitting down. We solve problems by de-escalating a situation and engaging in dialogue. And what in the F is this lady talking about? There have been rolling riots in her cities for 54 straight days. She sounds exactly like the mayor of Seattle, Jenny Durkin. 
who sort of whistled past the graveyard on CHOP up until the point where people started getting shot to death in the middle of her major city. Okay, Joe Biden, by, by the way, this, this should be such a, a winning issue for, for Trump because guess what? Most Americans don't like this crap. They do not like watching federal courthouses get burned. They do not like chaos in their streets. They're not fond of any of this. And Joe Biden is embracing the suck. I mean, he really is. Joe Biden put out a statement. He's been pretty careful about what he says on this sort of stuff because he doesn't want to appear like a radical. But what he has said on what's going on in Portland is truly insane. He assailed President Trump and his administration for, quote, brutally attacking peaceful protesters and using egregious tactics in response to recent demonstrations in Portland, Oregon. He put out a statement to BuzzFeed. He said, we have a president who is determined to sow chaos and division to make matters worse instead of better. He said, we all remember the appalling scenes in front of the White House when peaceful protesters protesters were gassed to make way for a Trump photo op. Now, Homeland Security agents, without a clearly defined mandate or authority, are ranging far from federal property, stripped of badges and insignia and identifying markings to detain people. They are brutally attacking peaceful protesters, including a U.S. Navy veteran. Okay, that's not true. Okay, that's not true. They are fully identified. They have police badges on them. If you look at their shoulders, they have insignia that explain which branch of the government they are from. In fact, here is a DHS official yesterday cracking back on, on Joe Biden's idiot statements here. The, the fact is, not only is there statutory, statutory authority for what the feds are doing right here, they are identifying themselves and they do have the authority to do it. Here is a DHS official explaining yesterday. This is the identifi- identification every single one of them has on their uniform. And this is a baseline. Director Klein said he doesn't have his officers wear name tags because they're being doxxed. That's exactly right. That's another thing that's absolutely disgusting. So they're not only jeopardizing the lives of the agents, but they're also jeopardizing the lives of their families as they're putting out their home information and they're suggesting that individuals go to their homes. So yes, I, as the acting commissioner, have authorized and supported removing their names from their uniform. Instead, what we have, though, is a personal identifier. Okay, so he is correct about this, but we've heard from Biden that it's it's the fascists in the streets, the jackboots, in the streets, Kaylee McEnany over at the White House yesterday, she said, by the way, we do have statutory authority for this. There is statutory authority to assist the Department of Homeland Security by shifting forces from, for example, Customs and Border Patrol. And like there's statutory authority. Idiot Jamel Bowie at The New York Times, of course, has a piece talking about how this is just awful and a violation of all, right, uh, all law. He, he admits, by the way, in his column that there is lawful authority to do all this stuff and lots of precedent. He says the difference lies less in the acts themselves than in the way these events developed. Use of military force against strikers and protesters is certainly controversial, but for the most part, it unfolds along clear lines of responsibility and involves powers expressly granted to the president. Okay, the president does have the ability under the Insurrection Act to call in federal forces to quell exactly the sort of activity. There is statutory authority. There have been no constitutional allegations of violations. Jamel Bowie just doesn't like it because Trump's doing it and because he is sympathetic to the goals of the people who are militating in favor of chaos. This is a secretive nationwide police force created without congressional input or authorization formed from highly politicized agencies. Highly politicized agencies, by the way, according to Jamel Jamel Bowie, means agencies where people are sympathetic to Trump. That's what highly politicized means. So the State Department, which is very much a left-leaning department, not highly politicized. ICE, because there are a lot of people who support Trump, highly politicized, according to Jamel Bowie, which means they're bad, which means they're a tyrannical wing of the U.S. government. Anyway, here's Kayleigh McEnany explaining. Yes, in fact, there is legal authority to do this. 
What you're referring to is Portland and 40 U.S. Code 1315 gives DHS the ability to deputize officers in any department or agency like ICE, Custom and Border Patrol and Secret Service, quote, as officers and agents, they can be deputized for the duty of uh, in connection with the protection of property owned or occupied by the federal government and persons on that property. And when a federal courthouse is being lit on fire, commercial fireworks being shot at it, being shot at the officers, I think that that falls pretty well within uh, the limits of 40 U.S. Code. 1315. Right. And she's talking specifically about U.S. code that prevents the assault of federal property. And she's correct about this. There is authority to do this. Nonetheless, as we'll see, Democrats are, are militating in favor of the rioters and the looters, which means they're rooting for the chaos. They want the chaos. The chaos is good for them politically, and they are happy to castigate as Gestapo, members of federal law enforcement who are identified as such. And at this point, you have to say these are folks in the Democratic Party and the media promulgating this narrative who do not care about law-abiding citizens. They don't. They're willing to abandon law-abiding citizens in favor of rioters and looters. So I don't know where you would put them on the good for America scale, but I don't think it would be on the good for America side, particularly, because this isn't good for America. It ain't. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, did you know that a hacker strikes every 39 seconds stealing things like videos, passwords, files, you name it? They want it. If you've ever been hacked, it is no fun at all. Now, take a second to think about the private information you've got on your computer and mobile devices. Pictures, videos, financial information, your work files, your personal documents, all of that is being targeted every 39 seconds by, by hackers. So what exactly are you doing to keep that from happening? You need protection. PCmatic is doing it right. They know that hackers are constantly striking and attack methods are always changing, which is why PCmatic does it differently. PCmatic protects your devices by per only permitting known trusted programs to run. No matter how many times the hackers try, PCmatic keeps them out and your information safe. They're the only antivirus company that does its development research customer support 100% in the United States. When it comes to cyber attacks, it is a question of not if, but when. So what exactly are you waiting for? PCmatic will protect your Mac or your Windows, computer, server, Android phones, tablets, all of it. Get a free month of protection right now with the purchase of an annual license at PCmatic.com. Again, you got to protect your information on your head. Like, this is a big thing. I've been hacked before. It is no fun. Go to PCmatic.com slash Ben. Keep the bad guys out and your personal information secure with PCmatic. Go to PCmatic.com slash Ben. Get a free month of protection when you get that annual license. Okay, in just a second, we're going to get to the continuing the continuing support for chaos. It is it is a wild thing. It, I, I haven't seen anything quite like this since the Ferguson stuff. And during the Ferguson riots, there were members of the Democratic Party who were sort of rooting for it, but not this clearly, not to the point where the president issues federal orders to shut it down and the Democrats are overtly calling members of federal law enforcement Gestapo. It's, it's pretty it's pretty insane. We'll get to this in one second. First, as you know, my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, it is on sale right now. It premiered yesterday, already at the top of the charts, sold tens of thousands of copies already. The book covers two fundamentally different visions of America that are now on the table. You are watching them in action. One is a vision of America that finds unity and, and, a, and a sense of country and nation in a shared philosophy, culture, and history. And the other looks at all those things as bad. We can't have a shared philosophy. We can't share a culture. We can't share a history. American history is replete with racism and bigotry. American philosophy is rooted in brutal exploitation. American culture needs to be overturned in favor of a better vision for humanity. Disintegrationists use weapons like cancel culture, deleting or silencing people or anyone that disagrees with them to build a whole new world order. You're seeing all this play out, not just in the businesses of America, but in the streets of America. When I wrote this book, I didn't realize it would be prophetic. It sort of is. How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It not only details how this alternative worldview has gained so much ground so quickly, it also offers a view of the culture at this point in our history that is necessary and the antidote. I think the book itself is the antidote to so much of what you're seeing. If somebody you know has been prescribed white fragility, 
Instead, hand them a copy of my book, which is number one, not demagogic nonsense, and number two, actually readable. Go check it out right now. You can pick it up at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble right now. Also, you may have noticed this year, crazy. The writers of 2020, they just blew it out. They went into their trunk, they took out all the storylines, and they just dumped it all in at once. And the media are lying to you on a regular basis, right? They're saying Portland is peaceful up until the feds got there. They're saying COVID-19, going to kill everyone unless we lock down full scale, and it's the Trump virus. Well, when you can't get the real story, you do have to go outside the narrative and get the facts. So if you're a political junkie set on getting both sides of the story, get a reader's pass today from dailywire.com. You'll get access to exclusive op-eds from us, your podcast host, as well as guest writers, in-depth analysis from the Daily Wire reporters on top of our regular breaking news. My latest article was a piece specifically about the dissolution of the country. It should be out today. This membership tier already a bargain at three bucks a month. If you join today, you get your first month for 99 cents under a buck. You also get access to the mobile app. You receive push notifications for breaking news and special content, as well as joining the community of Daily Wire members who are actively commenting and discussing our content with each other. That's mobile ad-free access to all Daily Wire news exclusive op-eds, all the podcasts on the mobile app, all for the low price of $1. And best of all, your bucks are getting you the news you need without the crazy disintegrationist spin. So head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and join today. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Alrighty, so as I say, the chaos is across the country, right? It is not just in Portland. Chicago is completely chaotic, which drove President Trump to say yesterday, listen, if I have to deploy federal agents to Chicago to stop the chaos, I'll deploy federal agents to Chicago to stop the chaos, which, by the way, he probably needs to do. Here was Trump. How about Chicago? I read the numbers were many people killed over the weekend. We're looking at Chicago, too. Would you say they need help after this weekend? Do you know the numbers? Did you hear the numbers? Many, many shot, many, many killed. Many, I'm not talking about one Two, was it 18 people killed? I think more than that. And you added up over the summer. This is worse than Afghanistan, by far. This is worse than anything anyone's ever seen. Okay, so Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, she immediately starts screaming about this on Twitter. She says, under no circumstances will I allow Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents. Really, what are you going to do? Really, what are you going to do? You're going to deploy the Chicago PD to fight off America's federal law enforcement trying to enforce the law? Yes, clearly the threat to Chicago citizens comes from federal law enforcement trying to enforce the law. Probably that's the big issue. Oh, yeah, by the way, last week, 18 police officers were injured at a Chicago, quote unquote, protest. The police said that they were outnumbered and unprepared, is according to CNN. Approaching a statue of Christopher Columbus, some people in the crowd used rocks, fireworks, frozen bottles, and other objects to attack officers, according to a statement from the PD. 18 officers were injured. Some were taken to area hospitals by paramedics for further treatment. Some were treated at the scene. At a news conference Saturday, activists demanded the immediate defunding of the police department. Oh, yeah, and by the way, literally as Lori Lightfoot, the idiot mayor of Chicago, terrible mayor of Chicago, was talking about how she doesn't want federal law enforcement in her city, at least 16 people were shot at a Chicago funeral home. The gunfire, according to Breaking 911, broke out at the Graham Funeral Home located at 1018 West 79th Street in the city's Auburn-Gresham neighborhood. According to CBS2, there was some kind of planned ambush outside the funeral home where a memorial service was going on for a homicide victim. Chicago Fire Department reports at least 11 victims taken to the hospital, all listed in various condition. So good times over in Chicago, but the problem, obviously, obviously, is President Trump. Right When Trump says we need to use federal power to protect the life, liberty, and property of the citizenry of the United States, Democrats are fighting back against that. They're fighting back against that. Now, you want to say, listen, we're doing it ourselves. 
That'd be one thing, but you're not doing it yourselves. You're talking about defunding your own police and in some areas, letting looters and rioters run roughshod through your major cities. And then you're ripping on Trump. This is Trump's fault. Listen to the insane statement put out by Nancy Pelosi and Representative Earl Blumenauer of Portland, Oregon. As our nation mourns the loss of our colleague and beloved civil rights leader, John Lewis, we are again reminded of the immense power of peaceful protest in the fight against racial injustice and police brutality. This is not peaceful protest in Portland. They're attempting to burn down the local courthouse. Every night, they're committing acts of vandalism. They're committing acts of property destruction. They're committing acts of violence. That is not what John Lewis did to defame John Lewis by suggesting that sitting at a segregated lunch counter in protest is the same thing as firing fireworks at a federal courthouse is patently nuts. It is nuts. It is insane. It's, it's, I have to say, the gaslighting that is now being engaged in by Democrats in the media is totally wild. So on the one hand, they say, well, you know, these protests, they're mostly protests. They're mostly peaceful. Now, again, that term is such, it's such mush. Mostly peaceful, you know. Like, as I've said before, O.J. Simpson, the night he killed his, his ex-wife, mostly peaceful that night. Like, for the hours between sunset and sunrise, Mostly a peaceful night. It was really that like, you know, 45 minute gap right in the middle where it got really not peaceful. But most of the night was peaceful. Like, what exactly is that supposed to mean? If you want to say there's a difference between protesters and the rioters and the looters, totally on board, totally agree. But then you can't just pretend that the rioting and the looting doesn't exist. Or when it does happen, say that that's part of the generalized protest and hope that we're not going to notice what you just did right there. You either have to separate the two groups or you have to conflate the two groups. You do not get to do some, sometimes one and sometimes the other, whatever floats your boat. According to Nancy Pelosi, she says, time and time again, the Trump administration shows its lack of respect for the dignity and First Amendment rights of all Americans. Last month, the administration tear-gassed peaceful protesters in Washington, D.C. Again, the president should not have had the Park Service use tear gas to disperse peaceful protesters in Washington Square Park, or in Lafayette Park, rather. Okay, it is also true that according to the Park Service, there were objects being thrown at the police officers at the time. But Here's where it goes crazy. Even if you think that was bad, that is not the same thing as we're deploying federal officers who are clearly labeled as such to enforce the law when people are violating it. Now, listen to this language from Nancy Pelosi. This is nuts. Videos show them kidnapping protesters in unmarked cars in Portland, all with the goal of inflaming tensions for their own gain. No, they are detaining and arresting suspects. That is perfectly legal. Where are the civil rights lawsuits? Seriously, where are they? Normally, when someone gets detained, without any cause whatsoever and then arrested? Are these people going to Gitmo? What happened to all of them? Where are all the horror stories from people who are being unjustly rounded up and sent to Gitmo? Where are they? They don't exist because it ain't happening. While Portland is the president's current target, any city could be next. Could it? Could it really? You really think that any city is going to be next? Or maybe it's the city where there have been 54 days of running rioting. Maybe it's that one. I mean, just out of the blue, I'm just going to say it's probably that one. We live in a democracy, not a banana republic, says Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the Banana Republic. She says, we will not tolerate the use of Oregonians, Washingtonians, or any other Americans as props in Trump's political games. You know, the real props are the American citizenry. Law-abiding American citizens, those are the props. Like, for example, you know who's a prop? A prop is Horace Lorenzo Anderson Jr., a 19-year-old black man shot and killed in the Capitol Hill-occupied protest zone. For weeks, we were told that Chop Chaz was the newest element of the, of the beautiful leftist revolution that we were seeing. We were told that it was basically a city street fair, according to Mayor Jenny Durkin. When Trump said, I'll send in the feds, the Democrats are like, you can't do that. This is a beautiful outpouring of democracy. And then people started getting shot. Well, now, Danita Sinclair Martin, the mother of Horace Lorenzo Anderson Jr., is suing the city of Seattle because city officials abandoned the six-block autonomous zone, leaving her injured and bleeding son to wait for emergency care that never arrived. The Seattle Times reports the mother of the 19-year-old Seattle man fatally shot in Chop Chaz 
filed a wrongful death claim against the city of Seattle, alleging city officials created a dangerous environment. Yeah, you think? You think? Anderson and another man, a 33-year-old, were shot multiple times near the boundary of the chop zone. But protesters blocked emergency vehicles and other first responders from attending to Lorenzo Anderson Jr. You're never going to hear about Lorenzo Anderson Jr. from the Democratic Party. You're just not going to hear about him. Just disappears. Just disappears. Because the narrative is that Trump is a fascist. And so we will foster chaos just so that when Trump responds, we'll call him a fascist. This is what Kamala Harris was doing last night. She, she, again, the Democrats are lying to you. They are lying to you. When they say that this is just about Trump silencing protests. Did I miss the part where um, over the last eight weeks, we saw literally probably tens of millions of people in the streets in the middle of a pandemic protesting and nothing happening to them? I mean, I live in L.A. We shut down the entire city of Los Angeles, not just so that protesters could go out in violation of pandemic code, but so that protesters could turn into rioters and looters and completely ransack Melrose Boulevard. Like, I am old enough to remember that because I'm more than four weeks old. But now Senator Kamala Harris from my state of California, she said, let's be clear what Trump is doing. He's trying to silence and punish those protesting police brutality and demanding racial justice across our country. Yesterday, I joined my colleagues on a bill to block the Trump administration from deploying paramilitary forces against Americans. This is purely insane. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And frankly, it should be a winning issue for Trump because if the Democrats insist on embracing actual chaos and violence, and labeling America's federal law enforcement Gestapo, which is what James Clyburn of South Carolina did yesterday, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't think most Americans stand with that. I really don't. I think Americans are willing to virtue signal about how much they dislike the police up until the point when their property is getting burned. And at that point, they're like, oh, you know what? I think we could use the cops right now. Just a little bit. And meanwhile, the the House GOP is in a state of disarray. Like you'd think now would be a pretty good time to be unified. Apparently not, because everything revolves around Trump. So yesterday, members of the conservative House Freedom Caucus, according to Politico, tore into Representative Liz Cheney during a heated GOP conference meeting on Tuesday, lobbing attacks at her for breaking with President Trump, supporting Dr. Anthony Fauci, and backing a primary opponent to one of their colleagues. Representative Jordan of Ohio, Freedom Caucus co-founder, one of Trump's top allies, called out Cheney, the GOP conference chair, for all the times she has opposed Trump, and began ticking off some recent high-profile examples. While Jordan praised her defense of Trump during impeachment, he also said Cheney's recent rebukes of Trump which have focused on Trump's handling of coronavirus, Twitter rhetoric, and foreign policy were not helpful. Representative Annie Biggs of Arizona, head of the Freedom Caucus, even accused Cheney of undermining the GOP's ability to win back the House and said if someone has a problem with Trump, they should keep it to themselves. Cheney responded by disagreeing with Jordan's assessment. Cheney said, I look forward to hearing your comments about being a team player when we're back in the majority. Okay, if you're directing your ire at Liz Cheney for pointing out when Trump does stuff that is wrong, that's political malfeasance. I think there are two very different views on how people are going to maintain the, the House minority, maybe win a majority. One is you tie yourself to Trump. I do not see the evidence that this is going to be a successful electoral strategy. The polling does not suggest it. The Republicans tied themselves to the mass of Trump in 2018 and they got absolutely shellacked. It was a blue wave. Liz Cheney drawing some distance and doing what I think is the proper thing and saying, of course, I support the president of the United States on policy. But when he says dumb things, I don't support that. That's where most Americans are. And just because Trump threatens people with Twitter does not mean that the, the strongest strategy for senators who are up for re-election and in battleground states or House members who are in purple districts, the best strategy is to tie themselves to Trump's leg, to staple Trump to their pant leg. And if Liz Cheney provides cover to some of those members and support to some of those members so they can win those seats, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Again, I like all the people who we're talking about right now. I'm very friendly with every single member we have talked about right now. But let's just say, that if you don't have any ideological diversity inside the Republican Party with regard to Trump himself as a figure, you're doing it wrong. 
And President Trump himself should understand this, right? If Trump wins, he's going to want a House majority that actually supports him. If Trump wins, he's going to want senators that support him. The last thing he should be doing right now is attacking senators or House members who show insufficient loyalty, who refuse to bend the knee. I mean, that, 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 and, and House members should not be cudgeling each other into, you have to support everything with regard to President Trump. Like Matt Getz tweeted, Liz Cheney has worked behind the scenes against Donald Trump and his agenda. House Republicans deserve better in our conference chair. Liz Cheney should, be, should step down or be removed. I disagree, disagree. I, I don't see what Liz Cheney has done wrong here. And disagreeing with the president on some of the things he has said seems, frankly, like a fairly good idea when he says things that are not correct. I mean, for goodness sake, the president of the United States went out yesterday and expressed sympathy for Ghislaine Maxwell, who was the accomplice to Jeffrey Epstein, the procurer for Jeffrey Epstein. Like, are Republicans supposed to defend this? Because that seems like a bad electoral strategy to me. Here was the president yesterday saying that he wishes the best to Ghislaine Maxwell, who was, by all allegations, procuring underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein's rape. Yeah, this is not a good look for the president. My goodness. Do you feel that she's going to turn in powerful men? How do you see that working out? I don't know. I haven't really been following it too much. I just wish her well, frankly. Uh, I've met her numerous times over the years, especially since I lived in Palm Beach. And I guess they lived in Palm Beach. Uh, but I wish her well, whatever it is. Uh, I don't know the situation with Prince Andrew. Just don't know. Not aware of it. Okay, so, yeah, again, that, that is not a good look. And if Liz Cheney's like, yeah, I don't like those comments, I don't think that she needs to be shellacked for something like that, obviously. And again, Republican unity does not mean that you have to be unified on everything Trump-related. It means you should be unified in the face of the big issues, like Democrats being in favor of people burning down cities. <laughs> Seems like that should be a point of unity. Okay, time for a quick thing that I like. This is sponsored by the Benham Brothers. Learn how to own a business without it owning you. Get 15% discount on the Benham Brothers new course, Expert Ownership, at benhambrothers.com slash Ben. Again, 15% discount on their new course, Expert Ownership, at benhambrothers.com slash Ben. So I love my Sabbath. The reason I love my Sabbath, I can go through a thousand books. Ugh, it's just great. I read three books over, over Sabbath last week. It was just fantastic. One of them is particularly good. It's called False Alarm by Bjorn Lomberg. I highly recommend it. It's called How Climate Change Panic costs us trillions, hurts the poor, and fails to fix the planet. So Bjorn Lomberg is not, in fact, a climate change denier. He believes that climate change is largely man-made. He believes that it is happening. And he goes through the statistics using as his model all of the UN information. And that UN information talks about the warming of the climate over the course of the next 100 years. He also has the temerity to challenge a lot of the preconceived notions that are being put out there, a lot of the myths about the, the Amazon being the lungs of the world and how all of that is dying, the, the preconceived notion that weather is getting significantly more extreme because of global warming, that the costs of weather getting more extreme are due to the, the changing of the climate dramatically as opposed to people building in the way. Right? One of the statistics you'll often see is hurricanes are more damaging now than they ever have been. Well, hurricanes actually are not more common now than they, ever, than they ever have been by data. There are some hurricanes that are more powerful, but the real reason they're more damaging is because people have built in the path of the hurricanes. There's a lot more people living in Miami now than were living in Miami in 1900, for example. He also pushes back against the notion that you're going to have millions upon millions of climate refugees, that the rise of the oceans over the course of the next hundred years is going to flood all outlying areas all over the world. He points out that there are some fairly low cost things that we can do to fight back against climate change, right? Certain things are, are more out there like geoengineering, right? That'd be the attempt to control the climate, but there, there, which there's fairly good evidence we can do that, but we're still figuring out whether there are any downsides that would be, you know, firing sulfur basically in the air to, to create cloud cover, which would presumably lower the temperature, for example. But other things are less out there, right? Beyond innovation, beyond innovation of, of new products and services that will lower the cost of, of so-called green energy, 
which by the way, is not going to come in the form of wind or solar. It's going to be other forms of energy probably. But what he talks about mostly is mitigation. Right? Mitigation is low cost stuff. Now you'll never hear people in positions of power who are pushing on the global warming stuff point, talk about the fact that the Paris Climate Accords, if implemented in their entirety, would lower the changed climate by the end of the century by, I believe, 0. 0.5 degrees Celsius, 0.5 degrees Celsius at the cost of trillions and trillions of dollars. Okay, but what they'll never mention is that there are certain things that we can do that are a lot cheaper that actually protect human beings. You can build better seawalls, for example. You can build more dikes. You can, you can make sure that low-lying areas are better protected. So this is really a Mythbusters book. It is really, really worth reading. He goes through, again, a lot of the talk about what exactly is true and what is false on climate change. And his, his thesis is, should we worry about climate change? Sure. Should we panic about climate change? Absolutely not. And he is right about all of this. He tends to cite exactly the same folks I've cited before. William Nordhaus of Yale University just won the Economics Nobel Prize for his work on climate change. And he points out that there are costs to policy and you have to actually look at what are the costs of global warming versus what are the costs of implementing the policy, which means that when the IPCC or the UN says we have to keep the climate from increasing by 1.5 degrees Celsius over the course of the next century, that is undoable and would be incredibly stupid. It would be actually counterproductive to do that. It would cost far more in terms of growth to the world to take the measures being talked about, essentially ending the use of carbon-based fossil fuels. It would cost much more, particularly to the developing world, than it would to just let climate change happen. And there's sort of a sweet spot in, in terms of how much you can lower climate change through things like carbon credits and tax, tax basis and, and mitigation efforts. There, there's sort of a sweet spot there, and we are nowhere near the sweet spot. So when you hear the climate alarmist, when you hear Greta Thunberg suggesting that we have to basically end all life on Earth in order to prevent the end of all life on Earth, she's just speaking from a position of ignorance. It's just not correct. So this is uh, the, the book is well worth the read. Again, it is a realistic take on climate change that everybody should take a look at. False Alarm by Bjorn Lomberg. Go pick up a copy right now. Okay, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content, much more to get to then. In the meantime, go pick up a copy of my brand new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps, surging up the charts over at Amazon and all over the United States. And we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Knowles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz, Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hillary peddles an election conspiracy theory. Joe Biden wants Islam taught in schools. And the feds finally start arresting anarchists. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 